0: Welcome to the Social Work Cafe podcast. This is a lighthearted educational series fueled by coffee and conversation where we answer the question, what is social work? So go brew your favorite drink, tell everyone you are doing some professional development and come join me, Dr. B, in the Social Work Cafe. Welcome everybody to our latest episode. You are getting a two for one deal in a way here. We've got two guests in the cafe. The fabulous Laura Fletcher. Hey Laura, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Bernadette. Thank you so much for coming along. The other person who's come here is Heather Bowetto. one of my dear colleagues. Hi Heather.
1: Very really great
0: to be here. So it's Heather's idea to invite Laura along, And what we're going to talk about today is environmental social work and that as a burgeoning, I mean, the ideas of environmental social work are not entirely new, but in some ways, the practice of it is kind of new and it's exploding. And before we hit the record button, you know, Heather, Laura and I were just chatting and catching up and talking about how there's still so much we're figuring out in this space. So we're going to talk to that today and get some more practical ideas about what environmental social work can look like in your practice. So it's a really exciting conversation, one that was not present or really taking off when I studied. It's really only come in the last five to 10 years, I would say. And Heather did her PhD on this topic. So there will be a link in the show notes for you to go follow that up. So before we get into that, how about we ask our guests to introduce themselves, and tell us a little bit about their background. And Laura, I think we should start with you because you have a very interesting practice, academic and research background. You've pretty much done it all, haven't you? Tell us about your social (laughs) work.
2: Yeah, so I've actually been a social worker for 20 years, having graduated from CSU in Wagga back in 2002. I've also got a master's degree during my time in Melbourne from Monash University. So my social work career started out in Centrelink where I was actually working whilst I was studying at university. Um, But I had actually done a placement in a hospital. So it wasn't very long before I was drawn back into that field. And then pretty much for the next, say, 16 years, I worked in hospitals in Melbourne and then back here in Wagga. Yeah, so as Bernie said, I've kind of done everything. Some of the big hospitals in Melbourne were just absolutely fantastic. Lots of work with on-site interpreters and there would be a grand round every lunch break with a professor or an academic lecturer from um, one of the nearby universities. And for a girl who kind of grew up in the country to be involved in all of that was just fantastic. And I think my favourite was probably working in the emergency department. Mm. And I was actually working in an infectious diseases unit way back when. So I'm not sure if I'd have the same take on that now with COVID.
0: There's Um, some practices from then you're like, oh, things have changed. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But as you said, I've done everything from birth through to
0: kind of death, aged care,
2: and lots of work in the mortuary, doing viewings and being with families, as they said, their final goodbyes. I've been a clinician, a department manager, an advisor, done some res schools out at CSU.
0: You've also done clinical governance roles
2: yeah, too, yeah. haven't so, I probably go all over the place, but I like doing lots of different secondments and taking on new opportunities. So I've done, yeah, a secondment to clinical governance in health, looking at professional practice issues and clinicians who might work outside scope of practice. I've also done clinical leadership courses and was a facilitator for a New South Wales state-run leadership course for up-and-coming health clinicians. I've worked in mental health, I've done rehab, aged care, outreach, lots of travelling around the district, a women's drug and alcohol program, so, yeah, lots of different stuff. And I'm currently working at Headspace where clinical educator for students so predominantly social work students on placement at Headspace, but also um, doing a clinical role and I'm outreaching to young.
0: Yeah, because Headspace is such a key area where students do placement and, and often go on and get jobs there as well. It's really been interesting to watch that space grow over the years.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a career, <laughs> Heather! Can you top just that? Two minutes <laughs> feel, but yeah,
0: you can see I like doing lots of different things. You do, and okay. I think that's that does really reflect your style, your career, all of it. That and is a good summary to give to listeners because you know you you should know you can go so many places. Always be open to moving around, and health in particular allows you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So Heather, tell us about your social work background. Thanks,
1: Bernie. And no, I absolutely cannot match Laura's extensive background, which is why I like working with her so much, you know, mm-hmm. um, as an academic. So look, I currently work at Charles State University. Um, I'm based on the Wagga Wagga campus in New South Wales. And I've been there for the last 15 years or so. My role at CSU involves teaching in the social work programs and I also supervise students in research and part of my own role also entails research and has also involved um, environmental social work. Before that, I was working as a practitioner and I spent time working in the disability sector in child welfare. I worked with young people, you know, adolescents and I also worked in school social work.
0: Were you one of the first wave of school social workers in the public system here in Waga from memory? Yes. So that's right. I worked
1: on a fairly new project in a disadvantaged school in Wagga Wagga and it was actually funded by New South Wales Health at the time Mm. um, which gave me quite a bit of autonomy in the school and um, I worked on a teenage pregnancy project and at that time Wagga Wagga had the highest teenage pregnancy rate in the state so Mm. it was yeah a really fun project and unfortunately though like many things The funding ran out, but it has been used as a model for discussion and debate, you know, in terms of progressing school social work in the public system in New South Wales. Other states, of course, do have social workers in public, in the public system, but New
0: South Wales has struggled to, to get that going. <laughs> always been an anomaly in that space, yeah. but it has been shifting. And, but also Heather, you, I mean, yes, currently you work as an academic, but you still do quite a lot of community work as well, volunteering. And you've always struck me as someone who's heavily involved in the, the community here in Wagga. Is there any of that you'd, you'd like to speak to?
1: I really struggled to give up my practice, actually. And for a number of years, I straddled both, you know, I was working part time as a practitioner and working part time, you know, at the university. Eventually, yeah, I kind of gave up because it was just um, working two part time jobs just became a bit too difficult. What I've discovered is as part of my role at CSU, I'm able to sort of partner with and engage with the community. And that's why I work with people like Laura. So often because it's a mutual learning sort of system, actually, where we share our knowledge to develop something that's, you know, going to be hopefully creative and and innovative and new. So I was volunteering for one of our our refugee community here, there for a few years, and I found that to be really um, interesting. And I was also able to consider environmental social work in that context at the time. Um, But more importantly, it's really just about you know, for me it's about engaging at that local mm. level and and you know working towards you know social justice and some of the other principles that we have, you know, at that personal and you know in that professional level. So
0: yeah. There's various ways we can still do that practice as well. So between the yeah, the two of you, you've both been in the field and in academia for a number of years now, you've seen trends come and go or changes. And one of them that you have both been part of that is not just a fad, we've seen those fads come and go, is environmental social work. So Laura, tell us, like, how did you become involved in environmental social work in your practice as a yeah social worker?
2: Yeah, well, it was actually an invite from Heather. Uh, she was calling for practitioners in Wagga to be involved in a research project on eco-social work. And to be honest, at the time, I knew very little about environmental social work. Like you said, it wasn't something that we covered in our university studies way back when. But I'm always willing to try something new and put my hand up. So kind of volunteer to go along. And the good thing about it was that the research team actually did a bit of a presentation about what eco-social work was and what was kind of expected. So that was really helpful. And it's interesting that you actually do know more than what you think. So when they started explaining what it was, I was like, oh, okay, I can see how this would kind of connect
0: with what I'm doing. And then, you know, things followed from there. So what do you remember them explaining at the time? And where were you working at that time?
2: I think at that time I was at the mental health unit. So working alongside people who were um, staying in a program for about eight weeks. And I think it was very interesting. It was kind of sold. I think the very first picture might have been about a, a person hugging a tree um, mm-hmm. and trying to dispel some of those myths that, you know, it was more than just being a tree hugger, but how can we incorporate the environment more in the work we do, but just a better understanding about the position. I think what I took away from that was where humans sit in relation to the environment and animals and flora and fauna. And it was just really interesting. I just kept thinking that that was a very kind of indigenous way of looking at things that kind of seemed to be common sense, but it's not the way humans have kind of evolved. So that's what I remember from that and just taking away, yeah, like we do kind of position ourselves as being on top as human beings and everything else is secondary but really trying to shift that and think how can we work more in with nature for the benefit of kind of the people that we see. So
0: yeah. Heather, I can see you nodding a lot. Yes,
2: <laughs> she did listen. She got it. <laughs> it was a couple of years ago, but yeah, I was, distinctly <laughs> remember some of the pictures and, and how I felt after that first kind of session, listening to Heather and the other researchers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm As you were talking, Laura, I was thinking of a pyramid. Like Heather, you write to this. It's it's predominantly been Western white societies that have positioned humans at the top of the pyramid, but you're Seeking to replace that image with something else, aren't we? Tell us a bit more about it.
1: Yeah, so I mean, absolutely. I mean, I guess, you know, social work as a profession and Western society, you know, generally speaking, has really nurtured this notion of individual self fulfillment, self actualization, you know, by way of economic prosperity, you know, mm-hmm. in employment, which ultimately. You know, contradicts environmental sustainability and, and so really, I mean, fundamentally at the heart or, or the underpinning concepts that underpin environmental social work is the idea of you know, changing that pyramid around and recognising, in fact, that we as humans are intrinsically linked and connected to the natural environment. It's In fact, it's an independent relationship so Mm -hmm. that, you know, if there's an imbalance within that sort of holistic understanding of society, of our ecosystem, then that imbalance is what you know, essentially is causing, you know, climate change and and, um, the devastating, you know, impacts of climate change and the, you know, disasters and floods and things that we've been seeing
0: around. Yeah. And I said at the very beginning, some of the ideas of an environmental social work aren't entirely new. There were writers back in the, even the mid 20th century writing about this, but it's really only been in the last perhaps 15 or yeah 10 years that environmental social work is finally sort of getting its due in a way, would you say, Heather? And I'm guessing that's largely because of you know the acceptance finally of climate change and and the acceleration of natural disasters that we are experiencing firsthand as a result.
1: Yeah, when I when I first started working uh, with you know the idea of environmental social work, and there were I wasn't alone. There were many other people, and as you said, many people throughout history. But when I first started, you know, working on it and having conversations with people was constantly asked to justify you know my interest or, or how environmental social work even relates to you know the profession and in some respects it was really challenging for me to you know to make environmental social work really meaningful to my colleagues you know the practitioners I work with and so on mm. but now it's completely different and now constantly asks to you know to talk about environmental social work and and I think it is because we have some real serious tangible impacts of climate change that are having you know catastrophic impacts Mm -hmm. um, on our human well-being and I think that is what sort of prompts this concern but of course we referred to earlier it's not really just just about human well-being it's about our whole ecology and in fact you know we're not the only species who are suffering and in fact um it's it's all starting to crumble unless we start to think more
0: holistically. Yeah, it's a real mm. shift in our fundamental worldview of how we see ourselves as humans and a part of the world and, and how we impact upon it and it impacts upon us and it's all interconnected. So I suppose then, Heather that and Laura, that the big question that you kept getting is, okay, first you had to just justify this sort of emerging field of practice. Then I'm guessing the next kind of question is, okay, but how do we actually do this? in practice. So Laura, going back to you being involved in Heather's research project, tell us about your experiences in that and and what were you then doing? Like, What did you change about your practice and do to bring environmental social work into the mental health space?
2: What I took away from it is I needed to have a really solid understanding about what eco-social work was and Mm -hmm. what we were trying to achieve. So I actually took that back to my workplace and did a presentation very similar to what the research team had presented to us to kind of explain to them that it wasn't about tree hugging, but what the concept was. And I did actually show them that picture of the diagram or the pyramid with humans on top and then humans in with everything else. Like a circular
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: And I kind of talked to them. And at the time we had just gone through, I think the bushfires that had kind of devastated a lot of the Murrumbidgee. So it was a really topical issue within health. And so use some of those photos and talked about climate change. And I think that got people interested and they then under understood the concepts and what we we're trying to explain. But I knew to kind of get it introduced into the unit and to the program of what we're doing, I had to relate it back to, well, how does it improve someone's mental health and well-being? And so that was the kind of angle or the tangent that I took. And if we could make some changes to just the way that we did things or thought about things on the unit, that that might actually have a positive impact on the patients and on staff wellbeing as well. So that's how I kind of got their buy-in and got their interest and Then we started generating some ideas about what we could do. And I work in a very, um, at the time, it was such a great team and such a great program. And we were always wanting to implement, you know, best practice and be innovative. And so we involved the clients of the program at that time in it as well and got their buy-in and got their input. And so it was a really a, a collective exercise.
0: So there was sort of a few factors that were kind of contributing to this change. One was the timeliness of it, you know, with bushfires happening in the region. So it's very much at the forefront, say, of policymakers or funding bodies, minds, and perhaps some of those administrators thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, this does impact people's mental health then. Your presentation came at a good time. And then there were also particular dynamics within your unit around wanting to consult and work with the patients to continually improve things. And environmental social work was one area you could Improve. So what were some of the ideas they, they came up with that changed things?
2: Yeah, well, we already had a pet therapy dog. Um, so we often had a dog running around the hospital ward anyway. So we were kind of already open to it, but it was just how do we use more of our open spaces? So we were very set in the way of running all our groups and classes in Side in an office building in the hospital unit. And we have big gardens outside and lawn areas. So it was like, well, why don't we run some of our groups and our classes outside as much as possible? And we started doing that and getting some feedback from the, the people in the program, just saying that was really enjoyable. We loved being outside. They just felt better. So then they could participate in the class at a greater level. We had some consumers say that they wanted to start recycling We were going through a lot of cardboard and waste that we weren't recycling. So they started up this little program doing that. We looked at how we could use some of our scrap food and take it down on our walks to feed the ducks down at the lagoon and things like that. So everyone had to kind of come up with an idea that they were going to do, and they had to take responsibility and kind of run with that. So it wasn't me in charge of 20 different projects. Everyone just had one thing and we just started really small and it had to be something that, you know, didn't cost money, didn't need to have any policies or procedures written around it, just something really small that we could implement and kind of be consistent with. We didn't want to start anything that fell over after a week, you know, we wanted to just incorporate
0: it into everything we did that's that idea of sustainability, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so we've got to think about economic sustainability in social work often as, as well to keep these things going. I love all yeah. of that. And the idea of, well, someone being able to choose something. So there's that self-determination involved in that, but also their own passion or interest. They can, there's so many options that they can think through of, well, this is what I want to be responsible for. And then there's that sense of capabilities and the, if they're in charge of it and running it, the skills that they need, use that. I can just see how that could be so beneficial.
2: Getting the clients or the consumers involved, they would then take that knowledge back into their communities and their environments when they finish the program. Um, So we kind of thought that that would be a really cool thing to kind of get started and to teach them about it. And, you know, even just asking people that come into the program or to the unit, how do you interact with the environment normally when you're at home and what things would you like to be doing differently? And a lot of our clients at the time were travelling, you know, two, three, four hours to access health services. So they're aware of what was happening out there to the environment and some of the challenges just even in terms of like the cost of electricity and gas and water and the impact it was having on them. And as clinicians, we thought we need to start really asking questions of all our clients about this kind of stuff. Like how are they being impacted by the environment and climate change and what can we be doing to assist them a little bit more?
0: Heather, this sounds just quite transformative, in so many levels, and I and I use that word deliberately because it reflects what Laura's just described, but also some of the literature you've been writing that we need to transform so much in social work itself. Can you speak to any more examples of environmental social work that you've seen others implement in their practice on a daily mm, basis?
1: For sure, and I mean, I'm just wondering, Bernie, if I just maybe backtrack just a little sure, bit. Sure, go just, for it. Just mention some key elements of environmental social work in mm. the first place, because. Environmental social work aims to, and this is in no particular order, but it, it aims to help people create and maintain a healthy and biodiverse ecosystem. So Laura provided a great example in her practice approach throughout the project in how she did that. For example, by undertaking or integrating, I should say, and sustainable living practices within one of her group programs with service users by using bicarb soda and a range of other, you know, activities to facilitate that. So, you know, quite often I think social work takes a reactive, you know, approach to lots of our, you know, fields of practice. But I think, in environmental social work, we also need to be quite proactive. Yeah. We are really skilled and well-equipped to help promote um, environmental sustainability within, within our communities. Environmental social work also recognises the interdependence between environmental being and human being, and I think we've covered that really well already today. Well,
0: that group example Laura gave of sitting outside, I was also thinking how amazing that is because a lot of mental health psychological interventions will involve mindfulness and imagine the power of doing mindfulness in the natural environment where you can hear the birds twittering away and yeah it was a great example
1: yeah and I mean other examples that occurred in the study as well on that note involved people doing mindfulness programs within the bush in some cases the natural environment was used to, you know, in a sensory kind of way to assist, for example, people to ground themselves when Mm. when dealing with trauma and so on. And I should also note if, you know, someone listening to this might be thinking, oh, well, you know, we're sort of using, you know, nature in this context, how different is that to, you know, how humans have, I guess, exploited the natural environment in in the past. And I suppose when we develop our relationship with the natural environment, then we're also developing an opportunity to improve our stewardship, you know, the natural environment and that's where these types of approaches become really important but the other aspect to environmental social work that I think a lot of social workers are really can really relate to is around justice and the injustices you know caused by the you know unfair distribution of burdens risks and so on the other thing I just wanted to add to is just a little bit more about the project because I wanted to just recognize my, my co-researchers who, you know, helped with the project and, and developed the project alongside me. They were Professor Wendy Bowles from Charles State University and also Professor Cardi Nagy from New University in Finland, where she basically did the same thing that we did in Australia. And then
0: we were able to compare the you know the results a truly global study in that sense
1: yeah it was and it really I mean it was a fairly small project I suppose one of the most important aspects of the project that I'd like to highlight is that the practitioners all had what I would call quite conventional roles Mm -hmm. you know in social work so mental health counseling hospital social work child welfare aged care you know all the types of jobs or positions that we would you know think that social workers would be you know might be involved in so on the one hand we need to extend you know, social workers' positions and roles and opportunities for working in other types of settings or settings that social work is not, you know, conventionally associated with. At the same time, you know, we need to look at what we're already doing, try and, you know, integrate and develop some.
0: Well, that was the impression too I got from Laura's examples. Like, Laura, when you were, I was thinking, well, it's not like you were completely having to change your current job. I mean, it was certainly transformative what you were doing within your role, but you were able to change it around to incorporate environmental social work.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that was the kind of message that we were given in the project about What's something little and sustainable you can do within your own workplace and not try and tackle something too challenging?
0: When you think about climate change, it's quite an overwhelming topic and, you know, there's a lot of documented anxiety around it for scientists who are studying it. So it can feel like such a big thing, but when you put it, frame it like let's just start with one achievable, sustainable thing, but look what's come from it, so many other little things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, a lot of the practitioners involved in the project often spoke when we caught up with Heather and the other researchers about how we were also doing some of those activities in our own personal life or how we yeah. were then trying to teach some of those practices to our children or to our friends. So that was happening within the research group. And that was kind of happening with the people we we're working with as well. They were like, we're doing this in the mental health unit and then taking it home. And so I think that was the, the key thing. It's just trying not to be too overwhelmed and to address it at a political or a policy level, but what can each person do, you know, in their workplace with their clients that they're seeing, but then also in their home life as well. So, and that's why we all got excited because we always would catch up and listen to what each was, were doing and, you know, try and take that on board as well.
0: Yeah. A nice little community of practice. And Heather, just as Laura's talking there, I'm thinking, gosh, what a beautiful example too, of this kind of project, having an influence, a positive influence on clients, and more broadly in their own community, but also the social workers, like it's just everybody's had a benefit out of this. Am I right?
1: It was so much fun. We actually, I mean, it's one of the most enjoyable projects I've ever been involved in actually, because we really did develop a community of practice Mm -hmm. where, you know, we had a sense of real trust between us as practitioners and as social workers. And we really enjoyed sharing the difficulties, the challenges, you know, that we faced and and many practitioners did, you know, face challenges with supervisors, with their organizations and so on. At the same time, we were able to work through how to deal with some of those issues, Mm. you know, and I think that was probably one of the most valuable scenes of the project, where we all had the same kind of goal, the same kind of purpose in terms of trying to develop environmental social work practice. And at the same time, we were able to, you know, share the things, you know, the joys, the wins, but also, you know, some of those challenges. And I think what, you know, Laura referred to personal and professional, and I think what we did was we tried to work at five levels of practice just to help be a little bit strategic and thoughtful about what we were doing. So we started with the personal because we sort of had this idea that, You know, if as practitioners, we can personally relate to the natural environment, personally associate with the natural environment, then we're more likely going to be able to, you know, have a sense of wanting to do something in that professional realm. So then once we did that, and that was a lot of fun because as Laura mentioned, practitioners were doing things with their kids and they were doing things at home and they were, you know, downloading apps to help them with ethical shopping and just a whole range of, you know, fun ideas put in place. but then from there we looked at you know the individual level of practice and so that's about working with individuals and families. and we also looked at the group level of practice both with service users or clients as well as you know with our colleagues. organizations. We also looked at the community level and the structural level. And so it was really about putting, you know, all of that together and, and trying to, you know, make something of it without... Obviously, without overdoing and overwhelming everybody, but just yeah. something small, which I think is important. An important point that Laura made.
0: Beautiful example of the multidimensionality of social work with those mm-hmm. levels as well. You mentioned a moment ago some challenges.
1: So there were a range of barriers that practitioners experienced and some of this related to the organizational sort of attributes so for example this is something that's not necessarily different to any sort of practice actually but were. A big issue for us as well in relation to there's sometimes quite restrictive organisational contracts and role descriptions that really define what a practitioner and what an organisation have to do and in some cases they're linked to funding requirements. And so, yeah, that that was a challenge. Um, on the other hand, I might just add, before I go back to the challenges, some more challenges. On the other hand, some of those organizational attributes were also a major strength for some practitioners. So for those practitioners who were employed within sort of smaller organizations, non-government organizations, were much more flexible and much more able to, you know, do something different or do something creative.
0: So a bit more um, agile.
1: Yeah, that's a good word, a bit more agile. Um, but getting back to the other barriers, you know, obviously lack of finances, lack of time, which is, again, not too dissimilar to what many practitioners might be familiar with anyway, but some practitioners identified A lack of knowledge within social work, lack of opportunity within social work for, you know, professional development and those kinds of things. And also interestingly enough, societal attitudes. So in some cases, the expectations of service users and and so forth. So there were, you know, a range of challenges, but at the same time, sharing those challenges as a group really enabled us to look through those and and digest what some of those things meant, you know, for our practice.
0: Laura, were those some of the challenges that you experienced? I'm guessing time would be one of them. It's a limited program that you were running that people were coming in week to week. So being able to get something workable and sustainable within a limited time must have been a challenge.
2: Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge would have been if our physical space was a little bit different. I would imagine before the hospital was redeveloped, we didn't actually have access to outdoor areas. We didn't Mm -hmm. have windows that opened. We didn't have balconies or grassed areas and if you think about many hospital environments you would have to walk a good 15-20 minutes to actually find some green space so, if you were wanting to engage a client in a mindfulness activity, but it took 20 minutes to get somewhere out in nature to do something and 20 minutes back, there's your session over. Yeah. So, just some of the practicalities of the office space. And I do remember some other people in the project saying that as well, that for OHS reasons, they couldn't actually take a client out of the office.
0: Yes, um, I was wondering about that. That's but, workplace health and safety often is cited, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. But then another person in the group had an idea about they collected some rocks and leaves and different things from. Out in the bush and brought it into the office
0: space. Bring the nature. But then that room. was
2: our solution. How can we bring the nature into the office space?
0: Yeah. How
2: do we put up? I mean, if we don't have a window, can we put posters of scenery, like landscapes, in the office space? Yeah. So even though it's an artificial window, we are still looking at nature. How can we bring some plants in, that kind of stuff? So yeah. Whenever a, a challenge or a barrier was kind of brought up, as a group, we would kind of work out a bit of a solution for that. But I think it was just going back to we can't change everything. There's always going to be some challenges or barriers. But as social workers, we're pretty good at working around that.
0: Mm. <laughs> and, Navigating systems or changing yeah. the systems.
2: And I think really, I mean, the reason why I had so much, I suppose, good luck or fortune is I think again as social workers, we've got the gift of the gab and how to communicate and sell things. So depending on who I was talking to, how the pitch or the conversation would slightly change. So um I think that was very helpful as well. As how am I going to sell it? How am I going to kind of get this across the board? How am I going to get people on my side to support me? And just knowing how to change the conversation slightly to do things. And again, I think I was a senior clinician. So if I was doing something, I was role modeling that and other people would come on board as well. So I think that's very helpful. Don't um,
0: underestimate the power you can have in your yeah. position or moving yourself into positions where you can, yeah, persuade managers and or be the manager. <laughs> yeah, and that that's one well. of the
2: conversations we're having in the group about, how we can support each other in in doing that in our workplaces.
0: And I want to go to the next advice then we give to others. And one bit of advice, well, there's two actually that's standing out to me right now just from this conversation. And, again, this goes a bit back to timeliness. Like, Laura, your involvement in this project came at a time where here in Wagga, our, our hospital grounds, and it's still – go underway right now. But the major hospital and the mental health unit were being redesigned. And my impression is, you know, that, that came at a good time when even architects or designers are starting to take into account the natural environment a bit more. So in some, like you said, you're very fortunate that the new building, the design is much better, but there's more access to the outside world and the natural environment. And it, so if you're ever any social workers out there where if you can be part of those conversations, if buildings are being redesigned or redeveloped, Get, insert yourself into those conversations and be part of that. The other one that's really standing out to me is get connected to other social workers, even develop your own community of practice if you need to around this, you know, environmental social work.
2: Yeah, definitely. And just sharing ideas of what works. So you only know what you know in your context and mm-hmm. so sometimes hearing an idea or a solution from somebody else you're like oh I can see how that could work back in my workplace so yeah. just getting new ideas just kept the interest going nothing ever got stale then cuz we once we had a few wins you would try and do something different so bowling as well Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I can. think
2: what heather was saying about you know really starting at that individual level we had to be quite authentic so I think your clients and the people you work with will see through if it's just like a one-off fake or you're just doing it for the purpose of doing it. You can really tell when someone's authentically engaged in nature and the environment, and it's really passionate about it, you get enthusiastic and kind of follow through. So I know that I made so many changes to how I went about things. One another opportunity that I've been very fortunate with Heather is I've been doing some marking of the eco social work subject, and the students are writing assignments about different practices around the world that influence the environment. And I'm a huge online clothes shopper. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, You know, if there's a, a shirt on sale, I'll get one in every color. A student wrote about how that has such a huge impact on the environment and we should be recycling clothes. And she spoke about the waste that... Mm,
0: um, fast fashion.
2: Yes. And I was humiliated. I felt really shameful um, that I was actually contributing to that. So even that influenced some of my personal decisions about, you know, looking at clothing in op shops and not necessarily getting one in every colour and how I can recycle that. So again, sometimes you don't know what you're doing or the practices that you're engaging in, the impact that it could have on the environment. So that's what I've really liked about this, just some of the changes that I've made at that individual level.
0: And Heather, what about you? Any particular advice you would add?
1: Yes, I just have to respond to Laura's story there because it's quite, yeah, it's quite amused to hear that story, Laura. And it, it just goes to show, though, that yes, we are always learning, but also, you know, the this the society that we've been socialised into, you know, yes. around sort of consumerism and and around sort of this neo in this within this neoliberal context, it's kind of like cloaked, you know, because we're living it, you know, every day. And also had experiences like that where you know friends and colleagues or students have you know sort of said something you know, I was like oh yeah that's a really good point you know because you know I've been focusing on something else and had made, you know thought of um, what they were talking about you know as sort of as so directly and so it's a constant. You know, challenge and ongoing sort of learning journey, especially you know, I'll say for myself, you know, as a white woman who is trying to you know decolonize and 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 you know undo some of the behaviours that I've sort of picked up throughout my life. So so yeah. Anyway, moving on to the your real question, Bernie about. <laughs> no, I think that's fabulous <laughs> about advice. Uh, I just think because I think the other thing. This isn't my piece of advice, right? This is, I'm just saying, yes, I'm just <laughs> saying what you referred to, what's been referred to before, which is, you know, to start small. Like that was a big yeah, love that. message that the practitioners provided in the project. Rome really wasn't built in a day and, and but we all can make a difference, a small difference. And as a collective, Or, you know, as a professional collective, if we all make that one small little bit of difference, then, you know, we have real potential for, you know, to to create
0: change. It all adds up.
1: Yeah, that's right. But that's not my advice. So can I... (laughs) Add as much advice as you want. (laughs) So your question about advice, I was just thinking more generally about the need to connect our thinking and our doing and our being actually, our being, thinking and our doing, that our philosophical base you know, within social work really needs to be the focus here. It's so easy to greenwash or to just add on, you know, sort of green green activities and solutions. And it's not that they're, they're not important because they are, but we also need to go a little bit deeper. A um, lot deeper yeah. from this
0: conversation is what I've gathered. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. So we need to sort of be more holistic. We need to think more holistically and we need to act you know more holistically, and it's really just about applying applying that multi dimensional
0: approach to what we're doing. I love that. It's um, I'm I mean for myself, I'm taking so many ideas from this conversation, and even though I've read your work, Heather, and I've dipped in and out of this space, it's hearing it all together in this kind of holistic conversation, particularly those layers from the individual, it just puts it all into perspective. And for me, I love all of the advice, but I I do come back to that one about start. Small, just start somewhere. And that maybe that resonates with me too, because I'm such I love solutions focused brief therapy, which has that kind of mantra. When people start small, it often snowballs. And before you know it, because yeah, we are talking about very big socio-cultural and sociopolitical structures that we need to transform. And when I say we, I just don't mean social work. We're talking about the whole society here, you know, moving away from the conventional consumerism and those conventional ideas of the environment to something holistic. It's not just the professional. It is a personal journey as well. So start small and build from there. And who knows where we will end up. So with all of that in mind, I want to go to our last question, which is for each of you to provide your one sentence definition for social work. And I'm curious what you both, how you want to both answer that With this in mind, this whole conversation around holism, multidimensionality and and environmental social work. So Laura, let's, let's go to you first. What would be your one sentence definition for social work?
2: (laughs) I have never been able to answer that question within one sentence. And it's plagued me the whole 20 years of my social work career, because I think at the end of the day, a deficit of social work profession is we can't articulate what we do well in a one sentence to kind of sell what we do. Mm. That was very apparent to me working in health. You know, Everyone can define their role, but social work is like, well, what do we do? But the way that I've kind of gone around that is I, I still don't have one sentence definition because I really think it depends on the context in which you work and the client group in which you work with. So I've kind of given up having my one sentence spiel. And so I always adapt it to the person that's in front of me. And I've actually written down here, you know, the very first thing about social work that was taught to me was start where the persons at, And so that reflects my definition. So I'm not going to do a really convoluted definition of social work to a 13-year-old who's struggling with self-harm. So I talk to them about, you know, I'm the person that's going to talk to you about some strategies to manage your self-harm and look at where things are at for you in your life. When I'm talking to an older person, I talk to them about, you know, I'm here And I kind of describe this specific task and see what comes of that. So that's my answer. I don't know if that passes the bar for you.
0: (laughs) I love that though, because I'm a fan of contextualizing something and also even starting with the more practical, because that would make more sense for people. And often, you know, when people come to see us, they're there seeking something like a practical outcome. So it does make sense for you to be able to articulate to that person and, and for it to make sense to them.
2: Yeah, and sometimes it's articulating what I'm not. So when I worked in a women's drug and alcohol program, I actually had to spend the first five minutes explaining that I'm not the person that's necessarily going to report you to the police or to child protection. Yes. And so then having that conversation about, well, what I'm actually there to do. Yeah. Um. So I think, you know, with social work, it's being aware that we do a multitude of stuff, but what can we actually articulate to the client in a way that they're going to understand and be able to work with us?
0: Yeah, the client in front of you at this moment. Yeah. I love it. Heather, how about you?
1: Thanks, Benny. Oh, I really like that, Laura. Spoken from Mm. a true practitioner. Um, That's really fantastic. So well, I'm going to stay within the environmental social work context and say that social work is environmental social work. So let me explain. I, I really, my dream is that one day we won't need the prefix of environmental or eco added to mm-hmm. social work. But, and actually, you know, with reference to the title of this, of this podcast, which is, you know, refers to greenies or tree huggers, I would like to see social work representative of an eco-social work or of environmental, you know, social work per se. So. That's my dream. That's how, what I think it, that's at least how I think it should be. That social work actually is environmental social work.
0: Well, Heather, you've been doing a lot in this space for many years to get us toward that outcome. And I have no doubt, that will come to fruition considering all the work, the projects, you know, the things that you and, and Laura have been doing over a number of years. It's just been absolutely wonderful. Cause I, I mean, we've been colleagues. Yeah. For quite some time. We were doing our PhDs at the same time and to see your work get out there and the, and the projects, cause you're now working on a big national project in, in this space. Watch this space. Basically, there's more coming and who knows how we'll be redefining and rewriting our literature. So that, yeah, we can do away with even the term environmental social work because it will just be embedded in there as it is. So Heather, Laura, I just really want to thank you for both coming along today for, and for Heather for suggesting, like I originally approached Heather and then it was her, she said, well, if I'm going to come along, I'd like to actually suggest we bring a practitioner. Oh, well, you're also a, a researcher, Laura, as well in this space, but um, someone who's got practice experience to to speak to this conversation. I think it's just added so much more depth to what we've been able to cover. So thank you both for joining us and sharing your examples, your practice, your academic journey and We'll have to have you back to hear what else you get up to and and how it all comes to fruition. So thank you.
1: No, thank you both. Thanks, Bernie. Thanks, Laura.
0: Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. You are most welcome to get in touch and tell me what you gained from the show. You'll find my website details and email in the episode notes. Be sure to check out the notes for other links that you can follow up for further learning and development. While you were there, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the next episode. And feel free to rate and review the podcast so we can reach a wider audience. See you next time in the Social Work Cafe.